Baruch haba, everybody. Welcome to another Genesis podcast. Blessed be the arriver. I hope and wish blessings on all of you. Uh, again, this day, this is January 14th, 2021 that we're recording this. 15th? I'm sorry. I got it wrong? It is the 15th? According to my computer. Uh, I think you're right. This is the 15th. That's okay. I can be wrong on that. I'm wrong often, uh, and I don't know where I'm going now. So let's stop me from continuing to be wrong and say that this is Scott. And this is Brad. And this is not about us. All right, so we're going on, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. As I've said before, I don't plan these introductions. I just kind of jump in, and you're obviously seeing the results of no preparation whatsoever. I prepare mine, and they still go off track very easily. So (laughs) obviously neither one of us know what we're doing. Uh, And that's a good thing, because it's not about us. Exactly. So, but... Before we move on, let's stop with our screw-ups, and let's let the one who has no screw-ups take over. Brad, if you could invite him in, please. Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh. Now more than ever, we need you. We've always needed you, but we're starting to see why exactly we need you. But right now, let's have a refreshing of spirit. Let's Let's get into our origins. Let's get into Genesis. I'm excited to see what Scott's brought for us, but I'm more excited to see what you've brought for us. So as always, I ask that anything that we present here today, uh, we want it to be truly from you. We really truly want it to be about you and give you honor and give you glory and give you the respect you deserve and you deserve it all. So anything that might be said, if it's wrong, correct us. Amen. If it's right, then help us get it out there. Glorify yourself in this, but as always, I hope we bring you glory in this as well. Thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for sending your Son, the Messiah, to us. And thank you for coming again, because you are coming again. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad, for that. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump in here now. We are at the beginning of Genesis 5. We started last time with Genesis 5, 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that Elohim created man, in the likeness of Elohim made he him, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Now, uh, we're going to go on a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to reserve the right to change this up in future podcasts. And I don't mean change it up, so to speak, but we're going to start to get into some numbers and what they mean. And right here, as I was researching this and I was digging, you know, I came, I'd come up with a string of things that, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And I'd write those out. And as I kept researching, I kept digging, I kept, I'd look, I'd check out other sites for inspiration and ideas that things I was missing. And I was just finding more and more. And I was like, oh my goodness, this goes far deeper as, as everything does. You know, as Brad, Brad is nodding right now, you know, in, in affirmation. Guys, everything we've done so far is just scratching the surface. God is so much deeper than we can possibly fathom, you know. Uh, but, but it was just being made more real to me as I was checking out these numbers that uh, there's stuff I'm not going to talk about today because I only just found out about it. Uh, certain things were becoming real to me towards the end of my, you know, studies, and I didn't have enough time to, to put it into a coherent thought right here, so I might come back to these later. But for right now, I kind of just want to talk briefly about how numbers work. And uh, we did mention numbers uh, in, in an earlier podcast 
after the seven days of creation, I stopped and talked about just those numbers one through seven and how we'd already seen these numbers uh, happening in the first part of Genesis. I don't know if you remember that, Brad. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. But uh, so we briefly talked about numbers at that point uh, because of how they dealt with the first seven days of creation. We've mentioned uh, at least the number three and seven yeah. um, in both of our studies uh, a fair amount, but, uh, but no, I'm excited for this. And, I'm, I, and, and real quick, I'll just say, I like that you're in this place that you still feel like, man, I need to spend more time on this. I need to look more into it. Yeah. Because that, that, that is exciting. Um, that knowing that you're, you're only scratching the surface of something. Uh, it's an adventure. It's fun. So anyway, oh, it is. that's my two cents on that. But, uh, and again, uh, as we've said before, please, please, please. Uh, I, I hope this encourages you to do your own digging. Every one of you. I am, there's no way I could possibly say everything here. Uh, and, and God has each one of us in a different location spiritually. I hope this is ministering to you. I hope all of you that are listening, uh, this is reaching your heart. This is opening your spiritual eyes in some way. But God could be leading you primarily down a path that we're not dealing with. In, on, in this podcast, that's awesome for you. Please dig, search, study where God is leading you. We are not the arbiters of all truth. He is. He is your teacher. So follow him where he wants you to go. But... So firstly, let me get into how numbers work in Hebrew. Now, in English, the letters O, N, and E combine to form the word form of the number one. Uh, Hebrew has a word form for every number as well. So the, in, the word for the number one in Hebrew is akat, and it is spelled Aleph, Ket, and Tav. And in modern Hebrew, they use the same number system that we use in English. One, two, three, etc., etc., etc. The way the numbers look and are written out. But religious texts and calendars to this day still use the traditional form that they would have used in biblical times where the Hebraic letters also represent numbers. So the number one is the same as the letter A. Well, in, in Hebrew, their letter A is the same as the number ones. So, so the equivalent would be in English if we had no number one, number two, and so on and so forth. If the letter A also represented the number one, and the letter B also represented the number two, depending on how it was used. Uh, this can... This can be tricky to wrap your head around, but the cool thing is like what we were, we've said before in podcasts, uh, that means these numbers also correlate back to words. And, and if you have the number of something, then, then that makes a word on its own. And that the number also relates back to the word pictures we've been talking about. And all of these things are interconnected and so intricate. And that's one of the reasons that I say I'm going to have to come back to this is because I kept, I would just pull another layer out and then another layer out and another layer out. And what does that say about this? And I didn't have enough time to get into all of it. But here are, just briefly, I'm going to go through the Hebraic alphabet and give you their corresponding numbers. Aleph is one, Bet is two, Gimel is three, Dalet is four, He is five, Vav is six, Zayin is seven, Ket is eight, Tet is nine, Yod is ten, and at this point, they don't continue 11, 12, 13. They begin to continue on the tens column. So Kaf, it becomes 20. Lamed becomes 30. Mem is 40. Nun is 50. Samek, 60. Ayin, 70. Pe 80, Sade 90, Kof 100, 
And then again, we skip to the hundreds. So Resh becomes 200, Sheen becomes 300, and Tav becomes 400. Now, at a later date, I'm, I'm not exactly sure when, but uh, beyond when the Torah was created, that's all I know, they went and they added other letters. Now, for those of you who don't know, there are final forms of five Hebrew letters. So when you write them out, if the Hebrew letter is the last letter in a word, they actually change how it's written. In English, this would be the equivalent of us having capitals versus lowercase letters. So if you think of the word cat, C-A-T, in all lowercase letters, you say, if that word were to start a sentence, the C in cat becomes an uppercase letter, becomes a capital letter, and, and is drawn a little differently. Uh, that's the same in Hebrew. When they have these five letters, kaf, mem, nun, pe, and zadi, when they are the last letter in a word, they are written differently. Uh, so what they did is they took these five letters and they made them 500, 600, 700, 800, 900. I'm not going to deal with those because those came at a later date. That was an addition uh, that, that was not in place at the time of the writing of the Torah. So I mention it to you because it exists uh, today and in some of these, these writings, but it did not exist at the time of the original writings. So we're not going to deal with that. Now, when you have a number combination, and we, we've said in our last podcast, uh, there's, there's no zero in all of this. You know, A, B, C, one, two, three. You know, they just, uh, each letter has a, a corresponding number. There is no letter that means zero. There's no letter that equates to nothing. Uh, so how do you get pi? You know, like in English, if we have the number 10, it's one followed by a zero. That's a placeholder to show that the one is actually in the tens column. How do you do this in Hebrew letters? So what they do is when they have like the number 83, for example, they just take the, they start with the largest number followed by the smallest number. So 80 is pay, 3 is gimel. So their 83 would be pay gimel together. Now, if you have numbers larger than 400 in the original Hebrew, you start adding numbers together always starting with the largest number and you double up on Tav, which is 400, as many times as necessary. So the number 700 is Tav Shin, which is 400 plus 300. The number 1100 or 1100 is Tav Tav Shin, 400, 400, 300. So that's how you do it. That's when, as we move forward, that's how the Hebraic letters are put together. Um, I've just kind of gone on about this in a straight shot. Brad, anything you want to throw in or any questions or anything I'm forgetting or? No, I'm just fascinated by this. Um, I just finished a study, uh, a prophecy study, and numbers were a big part of it. Uh, and actually, I appreciate what you just did there because that helped me understand that even a little better. So I'm looking forward well, to looking back at that and really checking my math. <laughs> oh, good. That's always nice to hear. Um, so now, one of the things I'm going to mention real quick, and I'm not going to get into right now, because this is very involved and complicated, but uh, it's gematria. Uh, in English, we might say numerology. And what this is, it's is looking for the hidden meanings in words if we translate the letters to numbers. For example, the word father in Hebrew is the word ab, and it's aleph bet, ab. Now, we just said aleph also equals one, and bet also equals two. So the number value of the word father is three because we get one plus two. So it's what you do is you take the numerical equivalent of each letter, get a total, 
and then find out how these interact with each other and what do what does they state so here's something briefly that that someone pointed out father the the total is three like we just said ab is one bet is two one plus two is three the word for mother aim uh the the number value is 41. so the the word for child yaled and i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly but uh, the word for child is 44. so what you get is it takes a father and a mother to make a child. Three plus 41 equals 44. That's cool. Yeah, so so gematria deals with this kind of thing. It's showing how, you know, how intricate, you know, this plus that equals this. Gematria is kind of where we get, like where the Bible says, let he who have wisdom discern the name, you know, the beast, the, the, the number of his name is 666, and these types of things. Um, so you can get, you know, some of these, the gematria of some of these words is, uh, you know, this particular name. You, when you take their numeric value and add them up can be 666, which could reveal something, you know. That, and in fact, one of the things it was pointing out was Jesus, the name, Jesus, which is where we get Jesus. It's the Greek version but they were pointing out that if you take the gematria of that name, it equals 777. Oh, cool. Which is the number of Jesus. So there, there's a lot of things like that that you can see in gematria. I'm really not going to get into that at this time because I've only just stumbled over it. I just want to let you know it's there, let you feel free to dig into that if you'd like. But uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to act like, I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> at least not at this point. I might, maybe next time I'll start bringing up some cool stuff that I've discovered in it. Uh, maybe start pointing some things out that I've been finding. But I, this is one of those things that I, another thing I stumbled across, like, holy, wow, this thing exists, but I have no idea what's going on. And it this further down the rabbit hole than I was prepared to go at this time. Now, I also want to say, you know, there are different patterns, at least in modern Hebrew, when we get into thousands and millions and things like that. But essentially, we're not going to get a deal with that because they don't really involve Scripture. Uh, you don't see in, uh, you know, in Genesis 17.3, and God counted the locusts, and there were 43,732,000, et cetera, et cetera. They don't, they don't get into numbers of that size for any reason. So essentially, we're not going to deal with it unless something comes up that we have to. Um, so let's jump in right now to Genesis 5. Though, wait a second. Okay, I'm going to read it real quick. Uh, Genesis 5, 3 through 5. But there's something else I wanted to deal with too. Uh, so I'll kind of skip around here. Genesis 5, 3 through 5. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Sheth. And the days of Adam after he begot Sheth were 800 years. And he begot sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Now, first of all, I want to deal with these the way we always have been. Let's dig in and just see what, what this means. Forget the numbers for a second. Let's see if there's anything else we can pull out of this. And we've already gone over these names, uh, Adam, Sheth. We, we've covered those before. But what immediately jumps out at me here is the obvious reference to God making man in his own image. We see Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image. And I do think we've covered it before, but I think prophetically speaking, Adam is a picture of Yahweh God, Father God. He's the, he's the original. The, you know, Yahweh is the, you know, before time existed. Yahweh is. He's the one who created all of us. And here he is creating his first child. Now, obviously not first. We've had Cain and Abel, uh, Cain and Havel. But 
here we have, he's, he's begotten a son in his likeness after his image. This isn't just talking about man or God creating man. I believe we've also talked before about Shaith is a picture of Jesus, is a picture of Yeshua. And I think this is prophetically also what it's referencing here is Jesus is the likeness, is the image of mankind. Or, uh, sorry, sorry, of Yahweh God. And, and there's much more to it than that. This is also a, a picture of God creating man in the first place. But that's what jumped out at me, was just this, this connection. We're seeing the same imagery as when God made man. Uh, is Adam and his son, Shaith. Now, this is a minor thing, but I do want to point it out because I noticed it. In Genesis 4.25, it says, Hava, or Eve, named the boy Shaith because he was a substitute for Havel. But this verse says Adam named him. And although it doesn't give a direct reason for the, way, for the name the way it does in Genesis 4.25, um, naming Shaith comes immediately after begot a son in his own likeness. So again, I point to this as being a prophetic picture of the Messiah being Adam's substitute or mankind's substitute. He's the appointed one, as his name says, to take the sin uh, of Adam away. And... I just I think that's why in this verse it's specifically talking about uh, Adam called his name Shaith because prophetically speaking we're supposed to see something different or you know just we're supposed to see it all, again as if Adam represents Yahweh here we're supposed to see it from Yahweh's point of view not from from Hava representing mankind. Uh, I don't know anything to that that you can think of, Brad. This is just a candid thought, but um, sometimes God changes the name of a certain person. Uh, Jesus does the same thing. Um, so I don't. I wonder if it's just a way of saying Adam is in agreement with his name being this. Um, oh, I think yeah. I so, think I think I think Adam and Eve, Adam and Hava, both were in agreement on his name. Right. But, but I, from oh, go ahead. But sorry. from God's perspective, I feel like, no, no, that's I'm in agreement with that name. It does not need to be changed from this day forward. He does not need to be named. Oh, I see. Something yeah, else. Yeah, no, that's a. Oh, okay. I like that. So that's I, a good point. I don't know. That was just a candid thought, but yeah, I just feel like there's cohesion here. We're all on the same page. Yes, that is his name. That is his meaning. His purpose. Okay. Cool. No, I like that. That's something I hadn't considered either. Thank you for that. Now, um, something else I want to point out here is it says, I'm going to read it again. Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Shaith. And the days of Adam after he begot Shaith were 800 years. And in my version, it has semicolon, but there would have been no punctuation in the original. And he begot sons and daughters. Now, this made me wonder, because we tend to think of this, we tend to read this as he begot sons and daughters after Shaith. But does it mean that? Is it just making a general statement that other children were also had by Adam because we know for a fact he had at least two other children before Shaith. So is this just saying the days of Adam after he begot Shaith were 800 years? End of thought. That, that's totally, that's done. Now we have a completely separate statement and he begot sons and daughters. In other words, it doesn't say, and then he begot more sons and daughters. It just says, and he begot sons and daughters. This statement is simply letting us know, 
Adam had other children other than the three that we have named in Scripture. But it doesn't specify when. Am I? Now, again, I don't read fluent Hebrew. I haven't gone and analyzed the original texts. I'm, I can't claim that I am an expert on the context and what I'm supposed to see here. But it makes me wonder if this is a statement just simply stating he had many other children. In other words, Shaith could have been his 14th child. I have no idea. He could have had 14 girls up to him. Yeah. And now it's he's it, mentioned because... His 27th child. I don't know. Yeah. He, he obviously had Cain and Abel before this. So the statement, and he begot sons and daughters, isn't limited to after Shaith. But we don't know how many he had beforehand. We don't know when he had them all. The Bible names Cain, Havel, and Sheth for specific reasons for our benefit. It doesn't name any other children because they're not important to you and me. They're not important to understanding God's plan uh, and and his line- the lineage of Jesus and, and the plan of salvation and all of that. We just know he had other kids because uh, Sheth just simply was born he, he's the substitute for Havel but he could have been he just could have been the next child born the time when Havel was killed uh, I don't have an answer to that I don't know that it's the case but again we've talked about it before Cayenne goes to God and God says I'm going to put you know, you know I'm, you're you're a horrible murderer you, you killed your brother and you know you're you're going to be cursed and and Cayenne says when people see me they're going to kill me well who are these people he's talking about we've talked about that before were did Adam and Eve already have other kids were there other people out there alive on the earth doing whatever so that's the reason I bring it up here is because the Bible just says and he begot sons and daughters we tend to connect that with uh, post shaith because of the, the the statement that the way it sounds to us, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It might mean that we just all I'm saying is we can't conclusively say that's what it means. Yeah, it's just a feeling, but I feel like he had more children before and after. I feel like he had a lot of children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, think of some of our modern lifespan individuals and and uh, some of the families that they can produce in their own <laughs> in their own lifespan of what we have now. His lifespan was so long. Yeah, and I I honestly I this is just a a, a poetic picture that I like to think of, but I think Adam you know, literally bounced his great, 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 great grandchildren, you know, on his knee because he was still around, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. You know, I, so anyway, um, no, I, and also it just, it makes sense. God, God commanded it, be fruitful, multiply, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, they were doing what God told them to do. And, uh, you know, just look at the population of the earth now. I mean, yeah, you know, had to, it had to start somewhere and, <laughs> And I feel like when it did start, it, it was a boom. Now, something else to consider, too, is everyone after this, Shaith um, and, and Enoch and, and everyone, Enosh and, and everyone after this, they were born, they, had, they were little kids, they grew up, uh, they, they were learning a trade, they were enjoying their families, they were whatever, and then they got married as an adult much later in life, doing, doing whatever before they started doing what it takes to have children uh, for the sake of the parents out there with other kids listening I won't you know you know what I'm talking about I'm not trying to be graphic just trying to be honest but Adam and Eve when they started they started together and from day one they could have been enjoying it and they could have been you know when were Cain and Havel born was it year one and year two of after the fall it doesn't say did you know but 
Now, this is just me, just speculating, but I find it very hard to believe that Adam and Eve were not enjoying each other for like a hundred years <laughs> yeah. before they had Cayenne and Havel. Especially after the situation they went through. I'm sure they probably grew closer together. Uh, right off the bat, they're the first two people on a cursed earth. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they got each other. Yeah. So I feel like their relationship was probably pretty strong. So I personally think that, again, I can't prove it, and I do not want to claim this is Scripture. I'm not trying to change any uh, theology or anything like that, but I just personally believe that there could have been lots and lots of children uh, prior to Shaith being born. All right. So, and now the last part of this that I want to bring up here is that additionally we are seeing in this verse right here these set of verses genesis 5 3 through 5 the fulfillment of what god told adam or adam in genesis 2 16 through 17 and yahweh elohim commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it for in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So Adam lives to be 930 years old. So did he die the day he ate that fruit? Yes, he did. Because the Bible says a day to Yahweh is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Adam died the day he ate of that fruit. He died in the same day because he died in the same millennium. So to God, he did. He died on the day he ate it. Now, before I get into the numbers, any comments about what we've been talking about, Brad? No, I just, I I love the, I do that every time. No, and then (laughs) every single time I edit these podcasts and I catch myself doing that every, it drives me crazy. I tell myself to shut up usually. (laughs) But but anyway... Um, no, I have nothing to say, and for the next five minutes, I'll say it. <laughs> oh, oh, thank goodness this is not about us, because... <laughs> um, I was just going to... I just... I love this. So a Hebrew, Hebrew letter can be... Uh, can have a meaning. It, it, it's a letter. It's a number. It's a musical note. It, it's, it's just... Color. It's a color. It's a color. And all of this stuff uh, is just perfect mm-hmm. in, in, in in scripture. Uh, when you when you when you you can you've showed me this. I I, I cried when I saw it. Uh, you can literally play scripture in musical notes, and, mm-hmm. and and it's beautiful. And it just it's just that perfection. It's 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 me now going big again and and trying to con- contemplate this God who is so perfect, and everything just lines up so incredible. And it just breaks my heart that people just disregard all of this as. Uh, uh, no, that's not right, or that's just by chance, or that's just this. You know, no, there there is a perfect system, and I think Hebrew, uh, the ancient Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, is uh, is just this amazing language and and script and just everything about it is just so perfect. Yet we think that we're so evolved, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But but here they have. The, uh, I mean, an English word means what it means. You know, it doesn't necessarily have anything else associated with it. There's nothing, there's nothing great and wonderful about it per se. You know, it's just... Right. But here, this language... I'm sorry, I'm getting off track. Needless to say, you're, <laughs> I'm, I just get my mind blown no, by the right. perfection. Because in English, uh, pick a random word. I'm looking at uh, wall. I'm looking at the wall. W-A-L-L. Wall. It has function. If I say the word wall, you know what I'm talking about. If you're an English speaker, it's not a bad word. It's not a bad system. Wall, you know, look over there at the wall. You know what I'm talking about. It is effective communication, but there's no code. There's like we're talking about, like what you're mentioning in Hebrew. There's no secret meaning behind that. There's no word picture behind that behind that word. There's no musical note that the word wall makes. There's no color that, that these letters form. There's none of this, th- this incredible imagery that, that 
in and of itself isn't just random. They all not only, they're not, they don't, in other words, they don't simply just exist in other forms, but each of those forms shares in the story and tells an intricate, cool piece of the same story. Yeah. Yeah. It's just absolutely amazing. So now I'm going to get a little bit more into numbers before we get into the numbers of this verse. Uh, just, just to explain, each number also has a meaning to it. And, and we've, we've mentioned a little bit of these before. Like I said, we did the numbers one through seven. And briefly, one means unity, new beginnings. It means oneness of purpose. It stands for Yahweh, uh, Adonai. Elohim, because because he is the one, uh, he the the number one makes up every other letter in existence as God does. Uh, two stands for union, the two things coming together. It also stands for division, two things being apart. And it can be the loneliest number since the number one. <laughs> well, <laughs> I won't go there, but it, it can also stand for witnessing and confirmation. Uh, it, it stands for companionship. Now, the number one is represented by the, the letter Aleph, the number two by the letter Beit. Three stands for divine completion and perfection. We've talked about three. This is also the letter Gimel. Four is represents creation. Now, this is this is just the number four. This isn't... You know, uh, uh, this isn't the meaning of the word picture, anything like that. This is just the number four represents the world, God's creative works, uh, universal. Uh, the 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 letter is the letter Daleth. Five can be grace. It can all, and it means God's goodness. Uh, it can also mean separation, judgment, and death. And this is represented by the letter He. The number six represents the weakness of man, the manifestation of sin, the evils of Satan, the beast, and the flesh. And it is represented by the letter Vav. The number seven represents resurrection, spiritual completeness, the Father's perfection, and rest and is represented by the letter Zayin. Now, all of these we've gone over before and others, so I'm going to move on to what some of these other letters mean, or sorry, some of these other numbers mean. Number eight references new birth. It means new beginnings, resurrection, cleanliness, salvation. And one of the things you can see here is a week is seven days, the eighth day begins a new set of days and this is represented by the letter kit number nine is represents the fruit of the spirit it represents divine completeness from the father uh, and it can also represent the holy spirit it is three but it is three times three divine completeness and perfection multiplied by itself so it can also represent finality or judgment that everything being complete and it is represented by the letter tate 10 is another perfect number we haven't gone over these before because we've pretty much stopped at seven but 10 is completion of divine order it stands for testimony. It stands for law and responsibility. It is also a number of trial. And it is represented by the Hebrew letter Yod. 11 has no Hebrew letter associated with it, but it when you see 11, it stands for disorder and judgment. Uh, it can represent incompleteness or confusion. The number 12 is another perfect number. So uh, that's why I pointed out here, it stands for governmental perfection. The 13, the number 13 can stand for apostasy, 
depravity and rebellion. Uh, it can stand for backsliding, but it can also stand for atonement. Now, it can stand for hostility, and the number 13 is often seen as an ill omen of something. 14 is a perfect number 7 times 2, so it's like the witness of the resurrection. It stands for deliverance, salvation, and the perfection of your witness. It can also reference a double measure of spiritual perfection. 15 represents rest, but it can also represent a divine separation. Since this can be three times five, or perfection of grace, it can also be the perfection of death and judgment. <laughs> and there's my computer going off. Shut the volume off on that. All right. I thought I literally just heard you make a new thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> that's, that's what it was. Oh, I should have gone with that. 15 can also be acts wrought by the energy of divine grace. 16 can represent love. And this can be, and one of the things that amazed me about this was uh, they pointed out it's 10 plus 6, which is the testimony of the weakness of man. And that represents love, just letting us know we're just the testimony that says we're not perfect huh. uh, is, is a representation of love. Oh, that's cool. And how many people is that? I mean, that kind of the testimony that we're wrong is, is a hate crime in today's society. Yeah. But to God, this is love because it's recognition that we need a savior. Love says you need help. And I'm here to help you. It's also eight times two. It's a new birth. It's, it's, it's confirmation. It's witnessing of a new birth. Resurrection. Salvation. 17 can be a number of victory, a perfection of spiritual order. And it's seven plus ten. Two perfect numbers added together. Perfection. The Father's perfection combined with a completion of divine order. The perfection, the a perfect law. 18 can be a number of bondage, but it can also be a number of strength. And I thought that was pretty cool because of what you've talked about before, uh, Brad, about wanting to be the servant or the slave of God. Uh, being a slave to God makes you stronger. Yeah. Makes you more full and complete and, and powerful. Yeah, whether we want to admit it or not, we're all in bondage. We're all a slave mm -hmm. to something. And so why not be a slave to something that makes you strong? Right. Wow, that's cool. I like that. The number 19 can, be, can represent faith. The number 20 is the next one that has a Hebraic letter, and we've mentioned it. It's Kof. But 20 can mean redemption, maturity, or expectancy. 21 represents the exceeding sinfulness uh, of man or just or of sin itself. 22 can represent light. 23 can represent death. 24, the priesthood. 25, the forgiveness of sins and repentance, and which, is, which is cool because it's, it's five, which is grace, the number five multiplied by itself. So 25, the forgiveness of sins is grace upon grace. 26 is the gospel of Christ. Now, some of these, I'm not exactly sure where they come from. I'm just kind of reading them. I, I essentially scoured everything I could, found everything anyone said, and kind of combined them all. Uh, 27 was the preaching of the gospel. 28, eternal life. 29, departure. Now, 30 was another one I'm going to stop on briefly. 30 is Lamed, the Hebraic number, but 30 stands for divine service. It is a dedication to a task or a calling, and it marks the right moment in God's divine plan when something is supposed to happen. Aaronic priests were initially dedicated to serving in the temple at 30 years of age. Joseph was 30 when Pharaoh placed him in charge of all Egypt. And King David was 30 when he began to reign. 
31 stands for offspring, 32 stands for covenant, 33, promise, 34, the naming of a son, 35, hope, 36, the enemy, 37, the word of our father, 38, slavery, and 39, disease. Now of those, I do want to go back to 36, the enemy. And this is six times six to get 36. And six represents the weakness of man, the manifestation of sin. So this multiplied by itself is our enemy. The evils of Satan and the manifestation of sin multiplied by themselves. This is the enemy that we have. When the Bible says, you know, uh, man is not our enemy. Our enemy is, is, is spiritual, not physical in nature. We have to remember that. 40 is another Hebraic letter, mem, and it stands for a trial, a test, or probation. That's why the, the Israelites spent 40 years wandering the desert. Uh, it's a probationary period. It was a, it was a trial that they were going through because of their unfaithfulness, because of their disbelief. 42 represents a first advent, Israel's oppression, and it appears to symbolize a connection to or a conflict between man and the Spirit of God, six times seven to get 42. 44 represents the judgment of the world. 49 stands for preservation. 50 is another that is represented by a Hebraic, letter, which is noon, and this stands for jubilee. It is a release. It is restoration. It is deliverance. This is what we think of as Pentecost. This was the the culmination of the Feast of Weeks. You had seven sevens, so 49 days, and then the following day was what we think of as Pentecost, uh, it, was a, it was a high holy day. Uh, we've gone over it before in the Feast of the Lord, but this was the 50th day. That's what Pentecost means, is 50th day. 60 is the letter Samek, and it stands for pride. 66, again, we're getting into 6 uh, being the weakness of man, and think of it as 11 stands for disorder and judgment. So we have six times 11 to get idol worship. Hmm. Makes sense. 70 is the letter ayin, and it can stand for eldership. It can stand for ultimate completion and perfection of God's divine order. 80 is the letter pay. And it didn't really have anything that I saw for 80 specifically. It just mentioned that pay means mouth, and, and this can stand for mouth. And 90 is, the, is zadi, uh, which is represented by a fish hook. So that's all I could really find for this one, is they just kind of mentioned it's a hook. 100 is the letter kof, and the 100 can stand for fullness. Just the, the, the completion of something. The children of the promise. 119. I, I saw several things that said this stood for spiritual perfection and victory. But I'm not sure why. don't know what that number represents. We can probably figure it out by adding 110 and 19 together and things like that. 120 represents the end of all flesh. And it is a divine period of probation. Now, this one makes sense. 120 would be 10 times 12, both perfect numbers. And that is the perfection of the law and the perfection of the government. 144 stands for a spirit-guided life. 153. This was an odd one. It was pointed out several times that nobody's really sure what this means, but they believe it has some importance. And the reason is behind, because in John 21, 11, Peter fished 
and he got 153 great fishes. But it's uncertain as to what that stands for or why, but, it, but they point out that the Bible specifically points out he got 153 great fishes, and there's just kind of a lot of debate as to what that actually represents or means. So I didn't put anything here because nobody was really certain. There's just a lot of, no, I'm right, no, I'm right to it. So I didn't, wanna, didn't really want to point anything else out here. 200 is the letter resh. And it stands for, on its own, it stands for a faithful servant's reward. 250 stands for division. 300 is the Hebraic letter sheen, and it stands for walking with God. And the letter 400, tav, stands for what tav stands for, the cross, eternity, the end of existence. 500 can stand for separation. 600 for warfare. 666 represents the Antichrist. 777 is the number of Jesus. And 888 is Yahweh God or the Holy Spirit. And the reason for these are because we have in three, we have physical, mental, slash emotional, and then spiritual. So 666 stands for spiritual, mental, and physical perfection without Christ. It's, it's the, the most perfect you can get falling short of, of Jesus. 777 being, of course, Jesus himself, uh, three perfect numbers, and then 888 stands for the Father God above Jesus. 1,000 refers to the millennium, and it's a divine completeness in the Father's glory. And, and then I'll stop there for now, but the reason I point those out is because those in and of themselves, the, the understanding of what those numbers mean, when you read a number in Scripture, that has reference to it. Uh, 100, 130 years that, that Adam lived before he begot a son. 130, what does that mean? Does that number mean anything in and of itself? Uh, 800 years, does that mean anything in and of itself? Not even getting into the word picture. Those are some of the things we're going to look at too. And, and just like the gematria, I'm probably not going to get into to him today. <laughs> I this this like I said this. How long have we been doing this? Just this one, Brad. I know we stopped a couple times and we'll edit it down. But once I uh, get rid of the little interruptions, probably about fifty minutes. Fifty minutes, because I'm going to do a little bit more and stop here. I'm not even going to get into the gematria and these other things. This list that I just spoke of right here and some of these things these numbers mean. Probably not going to touch on it, but I wanted to introduce it to all of you to see how deep it goes, how involved this is. These are just two elements of numbers, and I'm probably not even going to get in there right now. This, you know, there's just, the more I kept getting into this, and, and there's other stuff that I was finding that was like, oh my goodness, you know, it, I, it just kept going and going and going. I, so I don't know how deep I'm going to get it and how far back I'm going to go, but for right now, Let's come back to Genesis 5, 3 through 5. And I'm going to break. We were given three numbers here. Adam lived 130 years. We've got one number, 130. Then he has a son, Shaith, in his own likeness. And after Shaith, we have 800. For a combined total of 930 years. What does this mean? Now, we've mentioned it before. I think it's important to me, anyway, uh, for, for where I'm going with this. And like we've always said before, this is not the only interpretation. There's so much more to this. But what I saw here was Adam being a prophetic picture of Yahweh. 
and Shaith being a prophetic picture of Jesus. 130 years equals Kof Lamed. Kof being 100, Lamed being 30. So when you take the word pictures of Kof Lamed, I got several things. I got the fullness of divine service. And actually that one comes a little bit from what the the meanings of the letter or the meanings of the numbers that we were just talking about. But when you just take a word picture here, I got towards the sun on the horizon. And to me, this represented Yahweh's plan of salvation is Jesus had not come to earth yet, but his plan for his firstborn, his plan, we're looking towards the sun on the horizon. We're looking towards what is to come. Uh, The end of this uh, plan of salvation was always in place from the beginning. That's where we're headed. That was God's design from the beginning. So when we see Adam lived 130 years before Shaith came, what I'm seeing is God had his plan in place and was looking forward to the time where Jesus would arrive on the planet. Again, this, uh, one of the meanings I got was the fullness of divine service, waiting for the, the fullness to happen uh, of, of, of his divine plan. 800 years. Now, if you think of it this way, prophetically speaking, this is the way I'm seeing it. Please feel free to disagree with me. I'm not perfect. But Shaith, if Shaith prophetically represents Jesus, so now Jesus is born. Now Jesus has come. And we have, first of all, 800 years. We have an even number right there. And as we just talked about, 666-777 stands for spiritual, physical, I'm sorry, spiritual, mental, then physical. Uh, so the first is spiritual. We have 800 So this represents Yahweh, God, the Spirit. So to me, this represented Jesus came and connected us to Yahweh God. We now have spiritual intimacy with Yahweh that we had lost in the fall. We do not have mental and physical perfection yet. This world is still fallen. This world is still in the grip of the enemy. This world, this planet, has not been redeemed yet. God has not returned a second time to wipe out sin, hell, death, and the grave. So when Jesus came the first time, what we got is a perfect connection, 800, to spiritual Yahweh. That's the first thing that jumped out at me that I thought was cool. The second thing that jumped out at me here was the fact that 800 is represented by Tav Tav. I mean, literally, it's the cross. The cross. I mean, it's like God just stopped and said, do you know how important this is? And just repeated himself. Whenever God repeats himself, pay attention. Whenever God says something twice, you got to stop and think about it. And right here we have Adam lived 800 years after Shaith, the representation of Jesus, a prophetic representation. Obviously, he wasn't Jesus. He's just meant to open our eyes and see Jesus. He's, see, that's the thing about this. We're meant to see God's plan was always in place. Everything is designed for us to see his love and his plan of salvation. Another thing, another possible interpretation of this tav tav is the cross joins us together with God. 
of all of the large numbers after this, I found it fascinating that everything, every single number over 800 has an emphasis on the cross. Every one of them begins the cross, the cross. From here on out, every number over 800 has an emphasis right there. And 930, Adam's entire life. This one I found fascinating because this one, unlike most of the others, when you add two numbers together in Hebrew, so uh, remember how it works. We, we, have, we take the larger number plus the smaller number. So like if we have the number 13, we have Yod, 10, Gimel, 3. So Yod, Gimel right? Then let's say we added that to the number uh, 48. And I'm just coming up with these off the top of my head. So if I go back and forget (laughs) what I said, correct me. But 48 would be Mem Ket. So if we add 48 and 13, we don't get, you know, Yod Gimel Mem Ket. We don't just add all those together. No, we get a new number, 48 plus 13 is 61. Is my math right? Yes, 61, which becomes a completely different number. Samek Aleph. Well, in this case, if we add the two numbers together, 800 plus 130, Tav Tav plus Koflamed, we get Tav Tav Koflamed. The meaning doesn't change it just combines interesting so literally what we get is what exactly what we just said just all put together the cross the cross is what's towards the sun on the horizon it's like adam again representing yahweh shaith representing jesus his plan of salvation is right there in the numbers of Adam's life. Even, even the very year in his life that he had Shaith, his son. Shaith, and then cross, cross. It's also, you could be saying that he's got to come twice. You know, that was something else I thought of, yeah. He's, he comes the first time, and he's got to come the second time to complete the Be, horizon. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the first time, because, because okay, let's go back. Tav can mean mark. Tav can mean sign. Tom can mean covenant. Tav can mean the cross. Tav can mean ownership. Tav can mean a seal. Tav can mean joining two things together. And Tav can mean the last. So you're absolutely right. Tav has so many more meanings. I pulled the cross out because that hit me so hard. He's repeating it, the cross, the cross. But this Tav Tav being a representation when Jesus was here could mean exactly what you're saying. I pulled that out too. The first time, the first Tav is the cross. The second one is the last or the joining together. Uh, it could be exactly what you're talking about. First time he comes with the cross, second time he comes to conquer and put it all back. <laughs> cross, cross, ownership, ownership. The first mm-hmm. time he comes to claim his ownership, the second time he comes back to bring his bride, to bring what he owns back with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you could do you could do multiple things there. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. And... I thought this was going to be short. Uh, we really got off on all of these numbers and stuff, and 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 this is awesome. I was going to do Genesis five, six, and eight, five, six through eight here, and do Shaith uh, begot, begetting Enosh, his son. Uh, but I think I'm going to stop. I think we've gone on long enough for today. Like I said, I wanted to go back and 130 years. You know, what's the gematria? Does that say anything? 800 years. I wanted to go back and say, um, you know, those, those, you know, do, do they make a word in and of themselves? You know, ta, tav, tav, does that make a word? 
You know, I, I didn't look into that. I was like, what does, does that, a, is that a separate word that tells us something? Uh, I wanted to go back and say, what are, you know, the meanings of the letters, or the meanings of these numbers? Can we get this plus this equals 130, which tells us another level of this? I haven't done any of that. I just, I, I kept going, oh my goodness, it's there to keep digging. And, and I just kind of ran out of time. And the more I the more I looked into this, the more I kept seeing there's so many more aspects to this. It's just amazing. Even if we have been studying this since the time that we were children, every single day, mm-hmm. every you know, fifteen hours every single day, we still have only got to scratch the surface. And it's yeah. just just amazing. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up there and um uh, I know this doesn't matter to you guys listening, but but we still have two more podcasts to record tonight, so we're going to call this done and uh, say, once again, as always, I'm Scott. And I'm Brad, and this is not about us. <laughs> <laughs>